turn with me this Christmas day to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we'll be in verses 22 to 35. So turn with me to Luke 2, starting in verse 22. You know, a newborn child is a wonderful thing. Uh, They bring with them such wonderful joy. They are a marvelous working of God's wisdom uh, in all that he does, that uh, he has created mankind to give birth uh, to others. And uh, in so doing, uh, he has designed the body to that end and to uh, protect and nurture a little one. And new life is a matter of rejoicing, what joy there is in a newborn child. And that's true today. And it certainly was more true uh, some 2,000 years ago when a, uh, a baby was born in a manger, when Jesus Christ was born into the world. Uh, there was such a cause for rejoicing that even the angels couldn't help but to show up in the skies over the fields where the shepherds were watching their flocks by night, right, and to sing forth the glory of God. And as the glorious revelation of Jesus is made known, there are many who come rejoicing, right? There are many who come and rejoice in this newborn child. And today we find one of those moments of rejoicing. He's not a newborn as such. He's uh, a little bit older now, uh, by months, but there is another man who comes rejoicing to see this baby Jesus. And so I want us to see in our passage today that Jesus Christ is indeed the salvation for some, but he is the judgment for others. Because by him, the hearts of all are revealed. That last part's important. By him, the hearts of all are revealed. So let us go to our text today. And read out of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And this is the word of the Lord. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed For the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And this is the word of the Lord. So as we come to our text today, remember uh, the angels pronounced this in chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. The angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Thus the angel pronounced unto the shepherds in the field around Bethlehem. And up to this point, there has been much for Mary and Joseph to marvel about. Uh, in comes this group of shepherds. Could you imagine you've just had a child? You're, you're, you're kind of basking in the joy of that. Uh, maybe that sense of relief that, uh, that this child has been born and he seems well and hearty. Uh, especially remember that the, in this day and age, uh, they didn't have hospitals and there was 
much risk when having a child. There's risk today when having a child, and we do have medicine, right? We do understand the process a little bit more, but there was risk, uh, serious risk both for the mother and the child. And so there's probably this uh, relief, uh, this basking, and in comes this these shepherds saying, we were out keeping our sheep and like angels appeared and there was a host of them and they were singing and saying all this stuff. And so we had to come and check this thing out. We had to come and see this one that they have announced. You can imagine how that might cause Mary and Joseph to marvel. Uh, But you could go back even earlier than that. And you see, for instance, when Mary uh, gets her own angelic visitor, when she is told by the angel Gabriel, you're going to bear a child, she marvels at the work of God, the plan of God. Or when she goes and visits her relative Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, upon seeing Mary, uh, the child John the Baptist, jumps in her in her womb, and Elizabeth knows that something has happened. She is filled with the Spirit, and she proclaims Mary blessed. And Mary marvels, right? And she, she marvels so much at this point that she sings a song about it. The Magnificat is what we know it. She marvels. She hears the shepherd. She's had her first child. Elizabeth uh, has said these things. There's much for Mary and for Joseph to treasure and to ponder. And as Luke's gospel continues, we see more of this, more of these events that cause Mary and Joseph to wonder and to marvel. And not the least of which is what we see here today. There is much more for this faithful couple to know about this one who is their son. So let's proceed in our passage today and first consider how this family was fulfilling the law. They're fulfilling the law. We'll see that in verses 22 to 24, fulfilling the law. Verse 22 tells us, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses. So let's stop there and say, well, whose purification? We're talking about Mary's purification in particular. Uh, We find the Holy Family coming up to Jerusalem and it's for a dual purpose. It's actually for a dual purpose. Uh, And we see that as we continue, right? Uh, Because verse 22 tells us in the second half, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him for the Lord. Verse 23 tells us why. We get that in a parenthetical, but we'll get there. But first, let's consider that purification. Uh, The time has come for Mary's purification under the law. And this is found in Leviticus chapter 12. Uh, Leviticus chapter 12. And I want to read and look at verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then shall she continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed and we know that mary it is time for mary to do this we're told by the text right and immediately before uh this in verse 21 we see that on the eighth day jesus is circumcised and given the name jesus right the name the angel had given unto mary and joseph to call him so they have been fulfilling the law now comes time for the time of her purification when she must go before god uh, as is required in the law and this is something that we ought note about mary and joseph is that they are devout what we might call today devout they are devout followers of god they are concerned with obedience to god they want to be faithful to god that is that is what motivates them to that end right they they listen to god's commands and take them seriously they're not hypocrisy right they're not hypocritical and they're not duplicitous, right? They, they don't do this just for fun. They do this out of sincerity, out of a genuine sense of obligation to God. They had a genuine faith that cared about what God said. This is important for us to know about Mary and Joseph. But I said they came to Jerusalem for a dual purpose. In order to fulfill the law, they came to present Uh, the required sacrifice for Mary's purification, but they also came to present the Lord Jesus. The second 
reason they come to Jerusalem is for Jesus' sake. Verse 23 tells us, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they come to present uh, Jesus to the Lord according to the law. And this comes from Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, and listen to this, uh, l- listen to this, right? When the son comes up and say, what does this mean? You shall say to him, here's the reason why Mary and Joseph come and bring Jesus to present him to the Lord. Verse 14, continuing, what, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Right, so what Mary and Joseph are doing, right, is they are presenting Jesus as a reminder, right? It is a reminder to them. It is a reminder to the people of Israel that the Lord God is the one who has redeemed his people throughout every generation, every generation. And most significantly for the people of Israel, right, was He redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt by a mighty work, by a strong hand. He destroyed the firstborn of the peoples uh, of of the land of Egypt. And so this was a reminder, a testimony to them to always remember this is the work of the Lord. So this presentation of Jesus is a potent reminder that God redeems his people by the death of the firstborn or by the redemption of the firstborn in the case of sons, right? Because God does not want child sacrifice. And this is significant uh, in two ways, right? The first is that when we say that Jesus fulfills all righteousness, when we say that Jesus fulfills the law, And here's why it's important he had devout parents. Because everything that Jesus did, even as a baby, was in fulfillment of the law. So when we say, did Jesus fulfill the law completely? We can say, yes, absolutely. From the very day that Jesus was born, he was obedient to the law. Even when he himself couldn't see to it. That's why God gave him devout parents, faithful parents. And then secondly, this is significant because in this we have a foreshadowing in the law about who Jesus would be. Right? When we look to what, what God is doing, we see the connection to Jesus. God has paid for our sins. He has redeemed his people and brought them out of slavery, not to Egypt, but to sin. How? By the sacrifice of his firstborn son. By the covering of the lamb's blood over the doorposts of his people. And so the Lord passes over us and our sins because they've been paid for by the blood of the Lamb who was slain, yet lives. Right? 
This is a, we should marvel at this work of God by which he paid for the penalty of his people's sins. So Mary comes and presents her son Jesus as holy to the Lord. And what does that mean? Right? It means that he is set apart for the Lord's purpose. He is set apart for God's purpose. And how true is this about Jesus? Right? He is wholly set apart for the Lord's purpose. If you go further uh, and you look at the end of chapter 2, and you look at uh, verses 41 and following, you have this story about how uh, the boy Jesus is taken to Passover in Jerusalem, right? This is sometime later. The boy Jesus is taken to Passover to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem as is required by the law. And he stays behind when the feast ends. And his family doesn't know it because they presume, well, he's with Aunt Susie or Uncle Joe must have him. But when they search for him and don't find him, uh, they panic as any parent would, right? They panic and they go and look for him. And, and they end up all the way back in Jerusalem. And he is there uh, in the temple they find him. Uh, after three days, verse 46 says of chapter 2, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I'm set apart to the Lord, mom. I'm set apart to the Lord, dad. Don't you understand I must be about my father's business always? He's holy to the Lord. And as we continue, we'll see Jesus's purpose through the prophetic lips of a man called Simeon here in our passage, right? In just a little bit. But before we get there, verse 24 of our passage says, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And now Luke in saying this and writing this tells us something important about the Holy Family. They're poor. And we wouldn't know that off the top of our heads, but we would know it if we knew the law requirements again we go back to leviticus chapter 12 and we look at verses 68 and we see what are the requirements for the right of purification after a woman has had a child so leviticus chapter 12 starting in verse 6 tells us when the days of her purifying are completed whether for a son or for a daughter, because there is a difference there in the number of days that are required. But when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So what Luke tells us in referencing the kind of animals that she is going to bring is that this is a poor family. They can't afford to purchase a lamb and a bird. All they can afford is two birds. She's to present offerings to God, and we see that one is for sin and another a burnt offering. And these offerings are a reminder to her, right? One of the things that these offerings do is they remind her that she needs the forgiveness of her sins. So when we talk about Mary, she is not this holy, uh, sinless being. She is a sinner as much as all the rest of us. She needs Jesus Christ's work as much as the rest of us. So let us not venerate her as sinless. 
There's only been one sinless person, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Mary needed the forgiveness of her sins, and she needed the fulfillment of the law. She needed to fulfill the law. And that was only ultimately done in her son, Jesus. So they weren't wealthy. But here we must deal with the problem of the magi, the wise men. Because didn't the wise men bring gold to the baby Jesus as an offering? Well, first let us consider that it is quite possible that the magi haven't even visited yet. If you remember the story about what happens after the magi leave, right? Herod is upset that the wise men didn't return to him and tell them what they knew about the baby that they found. And so he orders all the children in Bethlehem two years and younger to be killed. And we see that it says that's based upon the time frame that the Magi gave of when they first saw the star, how long it took them to travel, and so on. So it is quite possible that the Magi haven't visited and won't visit for another year or so, right? Months, weeks, days, year. We don't know the exact timeline, but it could be that as they come to bring the offering, they don't have gold to dispense with, so they can't buy land. Uh, The second thing is that we might consider, if the Magi have visited, so if we say that they saw the star very early on and they were there at a very early time, you know, in this period before she had her time of purification, it may be quite possible that the gifts that they brought were, were more tokens than lavish, meaning they didn't rock up with a pirate's uh, treasure chest full of gold doubloons. All right, they weren't like, here, here you go, here's your treasure chest full of gold. It could be more like, here's three gold coins to represent uh, the gift of gold that we're giving. Right? Uh, and understand that any gold would have been a significant gift uh, for this family who is very poor. Uh, so, in, so in other words, this isn't Pirates of the Caribbean. And they haven't come with a great treasure, uh, but something just to indicate those things. And what was given to them may have already been spent or planned out to spend, right? They have to eat. They have to travel. Uh, they have things to consider, and, and certainly there would have been allowances for them to, to do that. Uh, they were poorer means, and they needed to travel and eat. Uh, we know they eventually end up in Egypt, so they need money to live there. But we have this devout family, and they're fulfilling the law. And as they come into this temple, they learn, uh, they begin to learn more about this child of theirs because there is one who is there watching for life. And that's what I want us to see secondly, watching for life. In verses 25 to 27, watching for life. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We come across another devout man of God. And while this uh, this is actually these devout, faithful followers of God are uh, unique in the land of Israel, uh, they are not unique in Luke's gospel. We find a lot of them. Uh, we find Mary and Joseph. We find Elizabeth and Zechariah, the the parents of John the Baptist. And here we find another, Simeon. Uh, He is called righteous and devout. And Calvin tells us that this is in related to the two tables of the law, right? The the Ten Commandments. That he is someone who is faithful to follow all of God's word. And he does that. He's a devout man. Uh, Again, he's distinct from many within his own nation. We don't really know much about Simeon other than what is given to us in our text. We don't have other descriptors of him. And what I say about that, we there is some suggestion, for instance, that Simeon is a priest because he's in the temple. However, nothing in the text tells us that he is a priest. So that's a conjecture. That's something that we come to the text and maybe think because he is a he's in the temple. Uh, that maybe he's a priest, but we don't have to assume that. We shouldn't assume that necessarily. Uh, that's important because what Simeon begins to say and do, is he giving a priestly blessing or is he giving a blessing to Mary uh, about the Lord Jesus 
because the Holy Spirit has moved him. It has nothing to do with an official function of the temple, of religious worship. Uh, that's an important question for us to, to hash out. We don't know that Simeon is a priest. We also don't know how old he is. And we'll get talk, talk a little bit more about that as we go through our text. We don't know how old he is. That's important for us to understand too. We don't know what kind of health he's in, what kind of, how old he is. Uh, we don't know. But what we do know is this. He's just and devout. Right? He's righteous and devout. He looked to God to save him, right? He, he is trusting in the name of the Lord God. We see also that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Simeon is waiting for the Messiah. Simeon is looking forward to the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And that should garner our intention because as we see Luke takes pains to mention this, we might ask, why does Luke take pains to mention this? Were there not others in Jesus' own day that were looking for the Messiah, that were looking for the Christ? There were many in Jesus' days looking for a Messiah. And I am intentional about my use of article there because what I think distinguishes Simeon from the rest of uh, the majority of the rest of the people of Israel is that Simeon is looking for the scriptural Messiah. Many in Jesus's own day are looking for a king to come and conquer the Romans. They're not looking for the consolation of Israel as a spiritual reality. They're looking for the consolation of Israel as a military reality, right? So, so for instance, and we could look at, um, and this is just a reference for you to go look at later, uh, John 6.15, John 6.15. If you go and look at that, you see that this is the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And at the end of it, the feeding of the 5,000, as the, the baskets are coming back with the extras, uh, Jesus knows the intention of the crowd and he slips away. He goes in hiding. And why does he do that? The scripture tells us he slips away because he knows the intentions of the crowd are to take him and make him king. What's the point of the crowd doing that? Look at this guy's bringing us all the food we need. He surely is the conquering king come to free us from the Roman oppression. Right? So there are many looking for a Messiah, but Simeon is looking for salvation the redemption of the people of israel he longed for salvation he watched for life not for a conquering king and we see significantly right that the holy spirit was upon him the third thing we see here right in in verse 25 is the holy spirit was upon him and this is not what we talk about today when we talk about the christians being filled with the holy spirit right if you're in christ you are filled with the holy spirit but that's not the same thing that it is going on here what luke means by this is that simeon is a prophet and we see that he holds a prophetic ministry uh, by what we see in the next verses right simeon is a prophet we're talking about someone who has a prophetic ministry in the line of, or in the in the vein of, John the Baptist. The kind of difference is, is that Simeon's prophetic ministry is much more limited, and John the Baptist was a broad, broad uh, uh, ministry. He had a broad ministry, right? He he's going uh, and preaching in many places. But all this to say is that Simeon is someone who should have our attention. Simeon is someone who is unique. He's waiting for redemption. And so we see part of the prophetic ministry of Simeon in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Right? Christ being another word for Messiah. Messiah and Christ being the same, same word, same meaning. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So this is not Simeon saying, you know what, I'm just going to call this out. I'm just going to claim this for myself. I'm going to see the Lord's Christ. 
That's my, I'm calling it. Before I die, it's going to happen. Naming it, I'm claiming it, it's going to happen. Right now, right? This is God, the Lord God as Holy Spirit, right? Speaking to Simeon and saying, you will see the Messiah before you die. You will see the Messiah before you die. And if you place yourself in, a, in Simeon's place for a moment, again, we don't know the details, the context to that, that, that message from the Holy Spirit. Maybe this, this message came like a week before. And he was just kind of going through that week saying, man, that's crazy. I'm going to see the Lord's Christ. Alternatively, he could have received that message decades before. And can you imagine this waiting and watching, right? Every day that goes by saying, is today the day? Is today the day? He gets a bad cold. And he says, is this it? Is this the end? Does that mean that the Lord's Christ is coming? And then he gets over it. He says, I guess not this time. Maybe next time. Or we don't know the context of Simeon's life, but we can imagine the waiting and the watching that he did as he came into the temple every day, wondering and praying, God, is today the day that I get to see the Lord's Christ? Is today the day that I get to see the consolation of Israel? Is today the day that I can depart in peace? In verse 27 tells us, again, we don't know how, how long between that message that he received from the Holy Spirit in this day. But he came in, in the Spirit into the temple. And when we say he came in the Spirit, we don't mean, as some mean in our day today, that he came and he was babbling and gobbledygooking and, and you saying, you know, eechy weechy wah 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 woo and rolling down the aisle of the temple, right? That's foolishness. Now, what we mean by this is he came with spiritual eyes. God was upon him. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when we say the temple here, uh, we're talking about the temple court that is outside the, the temple proper, what we might call. He's not in the Holy of Holies. He's not in the holy place. He's in the temple court outside where people could come and go. Uh, not just the place reserved for priests, which is, again, a reason why we don't have to say that he is a priest. He comes in the temple. Why is he in the temple? He's coming to worship. But he's, he's coming to worship God. He is a faithful man. He's coming to worship the Lord God. And today is different. Because unbeknownst to Mary and Joseph, all right, here they come. Uh, maybe they're going to the, they've got their two birds that are the sacrifice. They've got them wrangled. Mary's juggling the baby Jesus. And they're coming into the temple. They have their hearts and minds ready for worship. They have their hearts and minds ready for sacrifice, for presenting the baby Jesus to the Lord. And the Lord God interrupts them. Because here comes Simeon at the same time. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. We'll pause there and say he's watching. He's waiting. He sees them. Today is different. And today is the day after which he can die happy. And what does this one watching for life do when he sees the Holy Family? Well, we find him blessing the Lord. That's what I want us to see thirdly in our passage. Blessing the Lord. Verses 28 to 35. Blessing the Lord. Verse 28 tells him that he goes up to the, to the Holy Family and he takes Jesus in his arms. And um, maybe he is a priest because he can just go up to the family and take Jesus in his arms. And maybe they think this is normal, right? Uh you know, if you're out in the store and someone just comes up, random stranger comes up and takes your baby from you and like starts holding them, you're probably going to be a little uh, perturbed. Maybe, you know, there might be 
some hands might go flying. You know, we, we don't know what might happen, uh, but, it, but it would be strange, right? It would be a strange occurrence, uh, and it would take some tact to, to manage it. Uh, but Simeon here, in the spirit, recognizes who Jesus is. Now we have to stop and ask, was Jesus dressed as a king's child? His parents couldn't afford the proper sacrifice. I doubt they could perform, you know, afford kingly garments. Did Jesus have a little glowing halo around his head? Like we see in pictures, right, and paintings and such. What is it about this child that Simeon sees? Understand it has nothing to do with Simeon and all to do with the Spirit. The Spirit of God gives him spiritual sight to see and recognize what this child is. He took, takes the child Jesus in his arms and blesses God and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And first here, what Simeon says is right. Now I can die in shalom. Right. That's the Hebrew of the Greek word here for peace. Now I can die in shalom, peace. Because he recognizes this child is someone that he has been watching for. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Right again, this is a God thing. He is able to behold the beauty and the glory of Jesus because the Holy Spirit is upon him. The Holy Spirit has given him eyes to see. And let me stop here and say that the only way that you or I can see the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus today is by the Holy Spirit. If we have been regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit, the scales are gone and we can see and understand who Jesus is. There is no other way. And understand that is all a work of God. I didn't wake up one day and just decide, you know, today I'm going to see Jesus. Today I'm going to believe in him. Today is the day I'm going to choose him. No, I woke up one day and God said, today is the day I'm going to show this rotten, wicked man the truth of my son. And he gave of me of his spirit to that end. So too for Simeon. My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon recognizes in this child the greatness of his plans, the plans of God. Though just an infant, Simeon truly sees who Jesus is. And I'd just like to pause there and say, too, in the Gospels, who else sees and recognizes who Jesus is? Only those with spiritual sight. And that includes the demons. The demons see. The demons know. And it makes no difference in their lives. But it does in Simeon's. A salvation, verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Right? This, this is a salvation that will encompass the world. And he continues and tells us that in verse 32. Right? A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people, Israel. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. Right? And, and when we talk about revelation, this is the same word where we get our book, right? Apocalypse. Revelation. What's that mean? An uncovering, an unveiling. Something has been obscured and it is no longer obscured. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are included in the plan of salvation. And this has always been the case, I would argue, even in the Old Testament. The purpose of God has always been the salvation of, of all who would believe in him. Not just of his chosen people, Israel, but his chosen people from all the nations. And we don't have time to go into all that. But if you want to talk about that afterwards, I'd love to talk to you about that. To see the fingerprints of God, even in the Old Testament, 
and his plans and purposes from generations past. And for glory to your people Israel. Understand that this was glory for the people of Israel. It is still glory for the people of Israel. Because the people of Israel are, after all, God's especially chosen people. And to them came the benefits of a closer relationship with God that the Gentiles did not have. Paul writes in Romans 9, talking about, uh, he begins Romans 9, uh, pleading, uh, expressing the greatest depth of sorrow in his heart for the salvation for his own kinsmen of the flesh, the people of Israel. And he writes this about his kinsmen. Romans 9, verses 4 and 5. They are Israelites. And listen to the benefits that the Israelites have, right? They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Right? But the Israel's place of glory was not to exclude the possibility of the inclusion of the Gentiles. And indeed, Jesus is the light of revelation, the unveiling, the unobscuring of the purpose of God to save them, us, right? to save us. Jesus is a crowning glory that speaks of the blessedness of the Israelites. But how much more they ought to be quick to believe the word of God and how sadder it is that so many of his chosen people continue to die in the darkness, in the depth of their sins and depravity, in the, in the wickedness of their trespasses, rather than to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Savior and live. And this, by the way, is instruction for our own selves. How many of us are blessed to grow up in families where we hear the message of Christ often? How, how blessed we may have been to been to many services during Christmas time when we hear about the, the Savior Jesus being born into the world? We may have heard much preaching about the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ to the world. But all such blessings come to naught if we do not trust in the one preached. And so, friends, do not neglect so great a salvation by missing Jesus, by not turning to him and trusting in him. Verse 33 Rather than Mary and Joseph getting mad at this random stranger coming up and, you know, start taking their child and tossing him in the air. His father and his mother marvel at what is said about him. Right. They marvel at these words of Simeon. Right. Mary especially has heard many wonderful things about this child of hers. And here is another way in which God is preparing them for who Jesus is. Simeon sees it, but I don't know that Mary and Joseph do at this point. Simeon continues, though, in the spirit to prepare Mary for what is to come in verses 34 and 35. Right? Simon blesses them and says to Mary, his mother, he has a message from the Holy Spirit to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Behold, look here, listen closely. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Mary needs this reminder that she too is going to suffer pain. She is going to suffer pain. Because you can imagine, and all these wonderful pronouncements of what this child is, who this child is, uh, wise men showing up from the east, bringing gifts from afar, right? All this, all this happens. And you can imagine that Mary and Joseph could very easily get it in their head that, oh, man, everything's going to be swell, right? To go back a couple generations and use the language, right? Things are going to be so great. Things are going to be so wonderful. 
I can't imagine what it's going to be like raising the salvation of Israel and the whole world. How wonderful things are going to be. What dreams we're going to dream. I, w- I wonder how long we can go on this dream train, right? But Simeon wants to shock her awake and say, a sword's going to pierce through your own soul. Things aren't going to be as great as you think they are. Don't mistake the purpose of God. The plan for Jesus from the very beginning, from before the foundations of the world, is not Jesus is going to grow up large and he's going to be a king and he's going to reign and you're going to be wealthy, Mary. You're going to live in a king's palace. The purpose of God from the very beginning is death, suffering, persecution. It's a good reminder for us too. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15 verses 18 to 21. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you of its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Let us never forget, brothers and sisters in Christ, that just as our Savior Jesus was never promised a painless life, a life without suffering, neither are we. And indeed, in fact, we are promised quite the opposite. Because not only is it that the world around us, the people around us who hate God, hate us for loving God, but is that we have an adversary, an evil one who seeks always to destroy us. As the scriptures describe him, right? He's a lion prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. Let us not think that being blessed by God And even if we look at Mary by bearing the Son of God, that that means a life of ease and quiet contemplation. No, there will be trouble. And as Simeon tells Mary here, right, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, that there are those who are of the highest heights and the religious heights of the people of Israel who will fall and stumble and have a double ruin Because they not only are dead in their sins and trespasses, but they kill their Savior, thinking they're doing good. They call good evil, and evil good, and God commits them to judgment. There are the rising and falling of many within Israel. There were many who hated Jesus because he did what? What? Simeon says at the end of verse 35 that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. They hate Jesus because he reveals their hearts. John 3, 19 to 20, Jesus says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus reveals the hearts of many. In his own day, there were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, we may have in our mind a very negative conception because we've heard the Gospels over and over again. We see things like, woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. But understand that in Jesus' own day, the Pharisees were highly regarded. They were looked up to. They were righteous in the eyes of the people. They were the ones who, who obeyed the law. They were the ones that had places of priority and prominence in the religious life of the people of Israel. They tithed their mint and cumin and dill. 
By the way, I expect next week for the offering plate to be filled with whatever spices you've bought in the last week. Now, the truth of their hearts, the truth of the hearts of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the truth of the hearts of the high priest whose job it was to lead the people in worship, the truth is they hated Jesus. Their hearts were rotten. They hated the consolation of Israel. While Simeon sees in Jesus salvation and glory and the goodness of God, they only see irritation and antagonization. And the reality is that as much as Jesus revealed the hearts of the people in his own day, he also reveals the hearts of people in our own day today. He did it in his day and he does it in our day. And though that you may think that you can hide the truth of yourself to others, understand that God knows what truly motivates you. Because you can hide behind a religious veneer, but make no mistake, God can tell the difference. Jesus is yet the appointed one for the fall and rising of many, not just in Israel, but everywhere. For Jesus has come that all who believe him might rise to the glories of eternal life before the face of God. But for those who refuse to receive him, he is their fall to the pits of hell. The question that remains for us is not whether the baby Jesus makes us happy. All right, baby Jesus makes us happy. Time of rejoicing. What, what happiness we have. The, the, the question that remains for us is never, not whether we might find during this time some joy in the thoughts of a little child being born to a lower class family. What an underdog story to warm our hearts. Right? All we need is little Timmy coming in saying, God bless us, everyone. Now, that is not the question for us. The question for us today is, will we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Will we believe that in Jesus alone, we can have life eternal? Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is the glorious revelation by which we have given eyes to see the glory of God. We who were once lost in darkness, we have now been brought into his marvelous light. We were who were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have been given life, forgiveness. Our debt has been paid. And if there is one thing you should do on Christmas Day, it is not this, open gifts. That's not the one thing you should do today. The one thing that you must do today is worship our Savior and Lord. It is to seek Him for your salvation. So do not forget in the midst of everything else that this day often is to worship. Brothers and sisters, worship. But friends also understand that He is still the the cause of the fall of many. There are those who stumble and fall because they fail to see Jesus. They may even pretend before others that they believe in Jesus, but the truth of their heart says something different. Jesus reveals the hearts of all. You may think that you will be fine. You may think that you do enough good things here or there, and you don't really do that many bad things. And so after you do the calculus, the the algebraic equation, you run a logarithm. I don't know why, because, you know, it's just something you do in math sometimes. Uh, you hit the log button on your, your calculator and let it fly, and you say, I'm good before God. You may think you have no need for Jesus, but understand this. It is in Christ Jesus alone that you can have salvation. God has given his only begotten son that we might have life. And in all things, we must follow what God has given us to follow. Notice that about Joseph and Mary, right? Why were they in the temple that day? Because they needed to present the Lord Jesus as holy to the Lord. And they needed to offer the sacrifice for the purification of Mary having Jesus. God told them to be there. They were doing it in obedience to God. And God, through Jesus, has made clear the way by which we are to be made right before him. God has told us the means by which we are saved. God has told us the way to eternal life. 
Romans 3, starting in verse 21, Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Right? All that to say is Jesus was prophesied. Who Jesus is and was and what he did was prophesied from the very beginning. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I'll comment briefly on that last phrase there, just in the justifier. In Christ Jesus, we are justified. And in Christ Jesus, God is justified. God doesn't just say, ah, your sin doesn't matter, I'm just going to ignore it. No, God says, Jesus Christ, do you, do you bear my wrath for their sin. And Jesus says, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. What a blessing, right? God is just because he pays the penalty of our sins to the account of Jesus. And he's the justifier because by that act, he imputes to us righteousness of Christ to us. It is only through trusting in Jesus as the Son of God that you can have any hope to depart this life in shalom, peace. Doing good things won't get you there. A magic incantation isn't the answer. Placing your life into the hands of a holy God and relying on His grace, His unmerited blessing, and mercy, His unearned withholding of what is due, is it alone. That is the only way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So go to God this day and confess your sins before him. Ask him to forgive you. Plead with him for salvation. Plead to Christ Jesus to save you. Seek God. Revere him. Turn to him. Turn from your sins. Repent, in other words of your sins. Turn to Christ Jesus this day and be saved because Jesus is a glorious revelation. He is reason to praise God, to worship him today and every single day. Let's pray. Oh, great God, we thank you for the work of Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done in your people from from the very beginning, Father, we thank you for the work that you did in the heart of this man, Simeon, whom you promised would see that which he was waiting for. Father, we thank you that he had that day in the temple when he saw his Savior, and not his Savior alone, but all who trust in him, their Savior. Father, we thank you for this day that we celebrate the coming of Christ Jesus. And we thank you for every day that we get to celebrate the coming of Christ Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. And Lord God, we plead for his return. Father, for that day when this world and every person in it will submit to you as they ought and that they will bow the knee. Everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess with their mouths 
that Jesus is Lord. Oh God, and how we pray that there would be many more tongues who would willingly confess that now before they are forced to confess that later. Father, how we pray for your spirit to be upon those we know who need Christ Jesus. Father, even in this very moment, we pray that they would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand and believe that Jesus is Lord. And so confess him this very moment. Lord God, do that work. And we call, Lord God, we, we call uh, to you and pray that we would be bold to preach the name of Jesus. Father God, help us. Help us to be obedient. And Lord God, be glorified. May our lips praise you always. Father, be with us this day, we pray, to remember sweetly the name of Jesus. And so we pray this all in the name of our Lord, whom we pray comes quickly. Amen.